Welcome to this week's episode of Football Neophytes Podcast. We're going to highlight the two derby matches over the weekend. We're going to ask Kyle, if Man U died in the midweek, did they resurrect over the weekend? We're going to talk about Chelsea's defense, Liverpool's woes, touch a little bit on West Ham, and we do have a race, a relegation race. What's up, boys? What's going on? How you guys doing? Chris, you got to be good. Oh, man, you know we're doing good. Yeah. You don't even got to ask. I know they they can't see me, but they can hear the smile. I know it. They can hear the smile on your face. We are going to completely skip you, Chris, though, because... Last week, we talked about uh, if, if Manchester United can't score against Chel- uh, Crystal Palace, that was going to be the nail in the coffin for them, for Kyle. That they, one of the things, if Kyle was going to sell his soul, it needed to be a team to a team that could score goals. And so the nail was put in the coffin on Wednesday. So my question is, did did that performance yesterday was that a crowbar was that was that a crowbar breaking that coffin open and and breathing life into manchester united for you kyle oh my goodness yeah what a whirlwind of a week for man U and their rankings on my big board you know these two match weeks really lead to some ups and downs like you mentioned, when they failed to score against Crystal Palace, I thought they were out. You know, I thought I was I almost just needed to take them off the board right then and there. And then, lo and behold, they come back later in the week and slay the giant, beat the unbeatable, and force me to make a really tough decision. And The best way I can describe my emotions and my thought and my headspace this week, I have two things. One, sitting there and I'm feeling like I'm on the side of the road and Man U had just sold my my van that I used to give pet services and I'm sitting there thinking, you didn't score. You couldn't manage a single goal. You lost or you you base, you drew against the 13th place team in the Premier League. And I'm chewing them out. And then I go, and then they say, yeah, but I just beat Man City. And I go, and you totally redeemed yourself, <laughs> like from Dumb and Dumber. Brilliant. And so I was felt like I was in a scene of Dumb and Dumber. And they totally redeemed themselves and were back headed towards the Rockies, just like they are in the movie. Um, I also felt like you, yes, Samsonite. Or, you know, that, or it was the Undertaker meme where he busts up out of the coffin and back to life. 
And that's what Man U was this week. And so do I forgive them? Absolutely. You know, they totally redeemed themselves with that win against Man City. And they are a big riser this week on the whole. You also featured Crystal Palace, though. Do you have anything to say about about Crystal Palace coming out of that Crystal Palace uh, Manchester United match? Before you go, though, Kyle, I got to say there's about nothing anyone could add to that match (laughs) that would make it any sort of enjoyable. That match was terrible. But, Kyle, give us your insight. Yeah, it was not a great match to watch. It didn't look like it was a fun match to play. The weather was awful. Um, No, I mean, you know, listen, Man U, as far as I'm concerned, really dominated that match for almost the entirety of it. Um, even though they didn't score, they they were the only team that seemingly showed up. And then Crystal Palace had a opportunity to basically steal three points and couldn't convert on a pretty wide open goal. The the Man U keeper, Chris, I'm sure you have something to say about this. It was Henderson this week, right? Yep. And he made it a fantastic save to at least walk away with the one point. But Crystal Palace, you know, I was hoping for some Ezzy highlights. I was hoping to get my Ezzy on and they just did. They didn't deliver. They didn't deliver. They just didn't show up for that match. Yeah. That's a tale of two teams, right? You go from boring, like nil, nil uninspired on both, on both sides draw to man. You going out over the weekend and beating the best team in the world, arguably. And then Crystal Palace just continuing their downward trajectory with a 4-1 thumping to Spurs. So I can't imagine Crystal Palace. I was trying to imagine after, you know, the, the week's matches ended, I can't imagine Crystal Palace having much of a shot to make it into the final four right now, Kyle. You know, it's not looking great, right? I mean, these things can turn. And if they get hot and we see some Ezzy action coming along, you never know. But they were the long shot coming in. And we needed some excitement. We needed some, you know, a storyline here in the last few weeks to really carry them. And this week was not good for that. So they were a big faller. Um, there was some team along with them. But, yeah, I mean, I would, I would say by the end of the week, them and Man U were going in opposite directions, both in the Premier League and on my big board. <laughs> yeah, to who else? Who else on your big board? Give us some. Give us some some insight into some of your other uh, movement on the board before we touch on. Some yeah. So Man Man U going up. Chelsea, I think, also had a strong week. I mean, they they. I wish they would, of course, play Captain America more. I wish you know he would get more time with them. But they just continue to play really solid. They're playing really good defense and scoring enough to, to walk away with the victories. So they're moving up. Um, the big fallers, though, I mean, this week was kind of about some teams really failing to impress. Um, so we talked about Crystal Palace. Leeds would be another one. You know, the question here is, where's the exciting leads that we talk about? I actually wouldn't mind if they were losing matches three to four or you know, four to five or, or whatever, but I need, I need them to be exciting if they're going to be, 
um, you know, making a run here as my team. And, you know, unfortunately for them, right. That's, that's the MO that we've talked about all season long, right. Is they, they start out hot with this style of play and they, they aren't able to sustain it. I hope that's not the case. I hope they can get their mojo back, but right now they're falling down the board. The, the other, other team that I would say, Oh, I was just going to yeah. comment on leads real quick. So I watched that match yeah. today um, against West Ham and leads and Obviously, I've watched a lot of Wolves matches. Yeah. Wolves not scoring any goals. Boring. <laughs> Leeds not scoring any goals is actually still kind of exciting. <laughs> like, still they, exciting. Yeah. Pretty, yeah. It was still a pretty like fun match. And they they really missed a lot of opportunities. And we'll talk about Wolves missed opportunities as well. But but I yeah. do think Leeds not scoring goals is far more exciting than Wolves not scoring goals. Um, if I'm being honest. So. No, I think you're probably right about that. I mean, their style is not going to change. It's just, do they have the legs to actually convert, but, That's but right. they do play um, an exciting style. Speaking of Wolves, uh, they would be the other faller this week. I'm sure you'll get into it more, Nate, but a tough week for them. They weren't, they, you know, they basically obliterated the, the full kit wanker momentum. And, um, and then yeah, that kind of carried over their second match of the week too. So a tough week for them. Um, but all these teams have an opportunity. There's still a lot of season left, um, but those would be the followers for this week. Yep. Well, let's get back to, to Manchester United, Chris. You you didn't get to talk about their 9-0 win, so we have to give you your time to talk about their 2-0 victory over Manchester City. Give us, give us yeah, some it, rundown, some of the highlights. Yeah, it was the, uh, it was the match of the streaks. It was the... Yeah. Manchester City 21 game win streak, not just unbeaten. They had won 21 games in a row. And Manchester United comes in and they have a 21 game road unbeaten streak. So they hadn't lost on the road in over a year in the Premier League. And uh, so it was the 21 match streak against the 21 match streak. Um, and the game starts. And 35 seconds into the match, Anthony Martial, the much maligned on this podcast and on the interwebs, much maligned Anthony Martial, is uh, in the box with the ball surrounded by, it looked like, nine Manchester City players. And uh, he gets fouled. He gets tripped from behind. Um, He was pretty much swallowed up. So the fact that... um, I'm totally blank. I think it was uh, Jesus, right? Yeah, Jesus uh, got him from behind, and and it was not an arguable penalty. It didn't need to go to VAR. Like it was a clear as day penalty. He just kicked him in the back of the cab inside the box when he, you know, I, it wasn't intentional by any means, but it was a penalty. And uh, Bruno steps up, takes the PK. Ederson makes a great save attempt actually gets a couple fingers on the ball but bruno strikes it so so hard it gets through and it's 1-0 a minute into this match and that kind of set the tone for them they were really attacking early on which was great to see they really controlled the game for like the first 12 minutes and then city turned into city 
and you saw why they won 21 games in a row and they dominated the ball. They dominated the pitch chance after chance, nothing that was like too pressing on Henderson. Um, but it was constant. It was nonstop. They were under attack the whole time, but they didn't break and uh, goes to half. They come out of half city comes out again, probably for the first five, six, seven minutes of the second half. It's just another onslaught constantly in the zone, constantly in the box, but uh, United held strong in their defense. Didn't, didn't concede anything. And then the match kind of evened out for the last half hour Um United gets a goal on a counterattack where Henderson Henderson throws the ball out to uh, Shaw, who was playing a little bit upfield, and Shaw with a great play off his chest back to the inside of the defender and just burns by him. And then him and Rashford come down on that left side. Shaw passes it over to Rashford in the box. Rashford returns it, and Shaw being a lefty, he gets a really nice low – curving ground ball off the left foot in between three defenders and Ederson couldn't get to that one either to make it two nil. And then it, from there, it was just the United defense stood up and really it was the bend, but don't break. And they didn't break. And it was awesome. It was a clean sheet. Uh, it was their third one in a row in the premier league, which sounds awesome. Um, it's a little frustrating in that two of those three, they also were shut out in. So it was, Nice to nice to score and get a win. Um, considering the opponent, it was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, you know, going in, it was, you know, all the chatter was like, hey, we'll we'll take a nil-nil today of all, you know, I hate the nil-nil. I'll take a nil-nil today. Um, but it was a let's pray that maybe we can get those three points. And uh by the end, you know, you felt like they deserved it, they earned it, they played a great match. It was almost the complete opposite of what we saw in the midweek match against Crystal Palace, um, where like they were a determined team. They had a ton of desire. Um, the guys were playing super hard. The defenders were locking it down. Um, Juan Basaka, I mean, Luke Shaw was, was man of the match in my opinion in that match. He was awesome on defense. He was equally, if not better on offense, which is great from your left back. Um, Aaron Wambasaka is constantly overlooked um, because he's just so good and so consistent that you don't really think about it much, but he's constantly locking down that, that left side defense. <clears throat> and technically he's on the right, but the offense is coming on the left. Um, you know, Sterling got nothing. He got shut down, locked up. There's actually a long running joke of, Wambasaka owning Sterling. Wambasaka has actually never conceded a goal against Sterling in any match. Wow. And then it even goes further. Sterling's actually never scored against Manchester United in his career. Going back to his days at Liverpool and even now at City, he's never scored against uh, United. So that's fun. That probably means he'll score on us next year. And now that, <laughs> now that we've said it and it's out there. Uh, but it was it was a super fun match as a United fan. You go in super nervous, and then the guys come out and play like that, and you're reminded, like, oh, yeah, this team is fun. This team can be super enjoyable. They they have so much talent, and, so you know, they really have good guys that seem to play for each other and care about it. That it's like if you could show game film to anyone looking to become a fan of a team and you showed them that game film, they'd be like, okay, yeah, I get it. I understand that. So uh, fun match. I don't know if you guys saw it, and <laughs> I actually reached out to my friend Katie in the UK. Shout out to Katie. Um, 
it was there was a really interesting sequence that happened. Um, City came down on a or sorry, United came down on a counter. City turned it back and was countering them. Rashford comes from like 20 yards behind the ball, full out sprint, comes back, steals the ball, gets it away. In the process, he's, his ankle gets twisted up as he's stealing the ball and passing it to the defender to clear it. There's a sweet play, incredible hustle by Rashford. Like he makes up so much ground so quickly because of how fast he is. Um, but Rashford goes down. Um, it's a, a goal kick to United. So Henderson has the ball. Rashford's down, needing attention. And so Henderson kick, intentionally kicks the ball out of play. I've seen this a lot. Yep. Uh, the EPL seems like a very like gentleman's league almost <clears throat> in that you respect the game. You respect if there's an injury, I've seen teams play the ball out of bounds on purpose, giving the other team the ball. Totally. Like you, you do that. So Henderson purposely kicks it 70 yards out of bounds so that they can get the change. Cause Rashford needs to come off. He was legitimately hurt. <clears throat> so Henderson kicks the ball way out of bounds city runs over, grabs a new ball super quick and plays it back in so that United can't get um, the substitution. And I had never seen that before. And then the sideline cameras shoot over to Ole, who is standing next to Pep. And they are kind of like, like Ole is fist bumping Pep. And I don't know if they caught like a tail end of an argument. And Ole is like, kind of like like let's just squash it like offering a fist bump but then like pep walks away and Oli goes after him onto the city side of of midfield so it was, it was like really weird and so i reached out to Kay. I was like hey, i don't know if this is like a cultural thing but like do you know what was going on because one i've never seen a team do that i know they have the right yeah they certainly have the right to do that i'm not saying they don't have that right i've never seen it yeah. And then two, like, what was Ole doing with, with Pep? Like, it looked like he was fist bumping, shaking hands almost, but then they were like still in an argument. And, you know, her response was like, it's really rare to see teams do that. You know, they, like we said, they do have that right, but you just don't see it very often. I guess, you know, when you're considered the best team in the world, you're down one nil or two nil in a match at home against your rival, your Derby mate. Um, you know, that goes out the window a little bit. Um, I just thought it was really interesting. The whole sequence is really weird. And then the reaction by Oli and Pep on the sidelines, they kind of got into it, but kind of didn't in the, you know, and so uh, the the classic thing with Oli is I guess he's like a non-confrontational type of a guy. And so they think there was probably like a, a little bit of a dust up and he was quickly being like, hey, let's squash it. Like we're, you know, like, let's not worry about it type of a thing. Um, but it was just a really interesting sequence that I had never seen happen in the EPL, considering how much of like a gentleman's league it, it tends to be in those situations. Totally. Yeah, that is interesting. Well, that's a great win for Manchester United. It's probably too little too late in regards to making a race out of uh, the, the Premier League, but it's yeah. still a great win. It's always good to beat your your rival and and create some distance i think between but or at least give yourself a shot to finish to finish second yeah and i I think a couple quick little tidbits to to put the bow on this one for united uh it was funny earlier in the week uh i was home on that tuesday to watch the wolves city game 
Um, and, you know, Wolves had it 1-1 with like 75 minutes left. And Landon and I were watching the game, dreaming of the scenario where the Wolves might get one more. Because if the Wol- if Wolves could have won and then United take three points against Palace and then win the Derby, uh, the Derby, it's a six-point race with 10 games to go. And, uh, you know, it didn't fall that way. But even to win, uh, yeah, even, even to win, uh, it's 11 with 10 games to go, which is probably insurmountable, still looking at how City's playing. Um, but the two, two, two quick things, Ole becomes the first manager to ever win his first three road games against City. No manager in the history of the English Premier League has ever done that. And he's won his first three games, first three road games against City. Second is Manchester bleeds red for the rest of the year, boys. We own the city. <laughs> I can't celebrate that. Not that I like Manchester City, but I can't celebrate. Well, there was another derby this weekend, just a little further south from Manchester, and that was the West Midlands derby between Wolverhampton and Aston Villa. It finishes a nil-nil draw, and it was it was a it was a game of missed chances. Villa had two off the post uh, in the first like 15 minutes. Um, they they missed another couple opportunities. And it's just par for the course. The reason I really don't have much to say about this match is because Wolves basically did what they do every match. They play like shit for the first half. And then for some reason come alive in the second and look amazing and fun and exciting. And again, it was that exact, it was that exact same scenario. And I don't know what the deal is. I, I don't know if it's tactical on Nuno's part or if it's the players for whatever reason aren't up for it at the beginning. I, I really, who knows, you know, Connor Cody, their captain says, you know, in his post-match interview is we can't do this anymore. We can't let this happen anymore, but it's been happening for so long. And for a while it was tactical. I think in, in Wolves first two seasons in the premier league, um, it was Nuno's strategy to sit back, take, absorb all the pressure, tire out the opponent. And then in the second half, come out, get them on a counter attack and win. That's how we beat city uh, last year. Um, and how I think really how we finished seventh, the last two seasons. Um, but I think without, without Raul and without a lot of huge offensive threats and scoring threats there's like it's a you know it's a bite with no teeth so they can do that and they did they basically absorbed all that pressure in the first half second half came out but they just can't score um there was one sequence where connor cody who scored his first ever premier league match so he's our captain um he's a defender so he shouldn't score a lot but he scored his first ever premier league goal against city well, then he had a header that really should have been put in um, that he misses off the post. It bounces out and Roman size comes in and from the most absurd angle you could imagine misses from one foot out. It, it, I mean, the ball is sitting in the middle of the net. 
he's a foot in front of the net and somehow he comes flying in and he kicks the ball from underneath and just kicks it straight up in the air over the crossbar. So that was one. And then Connor Cody had an opportunity actually later, maybe five or 10 minutes later in the match um, in the middle of the box and almost wide open goal, but Martinez made a good, made, made a good save on it. But that was kind of the Wolves only real opportunities. Um, it's kind of looking the same it's groundhogs day all over again with them. Um, and this is an Aston Villa side without Jack Grealish. He didn't play. And so no reason we shouldn't beat them. Obviously Grealish brings a whole different dynamic to Aston Villa. And so um, coming away with a draw, pretty, pretty uninspiring. So no reason or no wonder they are fallers on the Kyle big board. <laughs> hey, is there any word on uh, Jimenez coming back this season, or do they kind of is it kind of looked at as a, why bring him back now? No, I think um, he's been on the training ground, so there's rumors that he might play towards the end of the season. I think it would be good. I think if he's healthy, of course, I would never rush him back if there's any danger of him. I mean, once you're concussed once, you're far more likely to be concussed again. And his was a totally different skull. I don't actually know if it was a concussion. Like maybe yeah. like the skull fracture is a totally different beast. But certainly I don't want him to come back if there's any medical reason that he shouldn't. Um, but if he's fully cleared, I think getting a couple games under his belt with no pressure to kind of get him like, I don't know. It's got to be scary to have such a such an injury like that. And so I'm all for him coming back. Um, so especially cause we play West Brom in a few, in a few weeks and there's like a dream, <clears throat> there's this like low level dream that we're going to be the ones to eliminate West Brom. So like, we're going <laughs> to beat them and it, it'll mathematically eliminate them and relegate them. So, uh, especially if you could come back against West Brom, but um, I was going to say it's it's not no pressure because there's also the football neophytes derby at the end of the season. So. There's also that. There's also that. So there's lots of implications, but certainly not if it it would lead to further injury. But if he's 100% medically cleared, I think it would be good. So yeah. Well, I'm hoping he gets back. You never want to see an injury like that. And he, you know, he's a great goal scorer. He seems like a very likable guy. So yeah, want, I mean, want to see really, him back. It changed the Wolves' season for sure. So. I mean, I don't know where they'd be with him, but certainly without him, we're a mid, a bottom half of the table team. So, let me ask you this real quick, kind of wrap up the Wolves thing. Uh, There's a lot of talk in the off season of a possible Treori sell-off, and they put you know the hundred million price tag on him because he was coming off of a great year. Yeah. Uh, any regrets as a Wolves fan of not selling him off or maybe having a more realistic price tag on him? Or are you okay with kind of what he's done this season? I mean, he's, I don't necessarily, I don't watch enough of Wolves to say he's not playing well, uh, but he's got zero goals this season right now. So well, he obviously has, a big, he has, the, he has the, the butt assist against. <laughs> so he does have that. <laughs> That's true. He does have that. So, uh, but I mean, it seems like there's been a pretty decent drop off in his play from last season to this. Is that, do you think that that's more of a result of the, of Wolves just not scoring that much without Jimenez 
or he just yeah. doesn't have the help that he did last year? Yeah, I think he's playing about the same as he did last year, to be honest. I think without someone in the middle, like a, a true striker, we are we are so impotent. Like, Traore's skill is, like, rushing down the wing and getting a cross in, where we have seen some more excitement, and even that goal that shot off the post against Leeds was him playing what they call an inverted wing, where, where he's playing, like, an inverted winger, where the where the wingers kind of move more towards the center of the field as opposed to playing out wide which isn't totally how he plays but we have seen some success with that with both him and Neto not playing out so wide and then and then running in towards the middle and so I don't know I mean no I, I love Traore and I think he he makes stuff happen and Wolves need players like that yeah we also need to score goals certainly but i don't know what they the team would be i don't know what they would do without him and neto right yeah now. the bigger issue, i guess part of that the bigger Sorry, issue, I was say, without I guess... raul there's no he's just like a hawk for the goal and so there's a lot of confidence your wingers get when you've got a guy like that in the middle and William Jose hasn't proven to be that guy. And to be honest, actually, Fabio Silva seems to be more of a threat. He just hasn't quite figured it out. I mean, he's 19 or 18 years old, so I don't expect him to. So um, it would be really, and that'd be another reason it'd be interesting to see, like, if Raul were to come back, um, would they, would, would that, like, unlock something in the team where Traore gets a couple assists? you know so yeah I, I, part of part of my reason for even asking or thinking is you know a lot of the transfer rumors were possibly to manchester united yeah and you know the price tag was obviously ridiculous yeah um but you have the right to ask that as a team but just knowing what manu's limitations on the right side are the the you know the fairy tales of fantasies as a fan of thinking of him in that spot filling our biggest hole would have been really fun for sure and you it's a team sport right so you have individual brilliance of course but they can't do it individually and so you look at a guy like jota who like was pretty inconsistent with wolves he's been injured this whole second half of the season basically for liverpool um but he goes to liverpool and is a goal scoring machine right off the bat because he's surrounded by other great players. So if Traore were on Manchester United, would he have a handful of goals and assists? Absolutely. That's also why I think with a world-class striker like Raul, he gets a handful of goals and assists. You know, I don't, it's probably not that simplistic, but what do I know? I'm a football fight. Yeah. It's just, it, I don't know why. It's just kind of always sad when, when I look at his stat line. And I'm like, zero how, how is it at zero? <laughs> like, he's so good, and he's still so good. But zero goals, it just, it's crazy. But this is the other thing with him. He's, he's, he's so strong and has so much pace. Those two things combined don't equal touch. And the biggest thing yeah. that he, that's the biggest <clears> thing. <throat> so if you watch their matches, the amount of crap crosses he flies over the entire like 
center like box or the amount of touches he takes on the ball that he kicks too far out of the back touch line, you know, like he does that a lot because he doesn't have control. And so that's the knock on him. And those who don't like him, that's what they're critical of is, yeah, it's cool that he can beat anyone down the field, but when you kick it out of bounds or cross it to no one, like what good is it? That's where, to me, it's far more exciting to see when he plays this kind of inverted winger position and he comes runs to the middle of the field because then it feels like something can happen, whether it's a you know a shot like the one in, against Leeds or you know or a, a pass off to someone to make something else happen. So, yeah, he's the bull in the china shop. He is the bull in the china shop with baby oil. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I want to talk about some teams that are playing well, which Wolves are not. And one of those teams is Chelsea. I, I don't know. I don't have the time or maybe the resources to do the research. But what they are doing right now in their last 11 matches, um, which includes FA Cup and Champions League, is remarkable. They have allowed two goals in 11 matches since Tuchel took over. Um, Again, I don't know what the what the records are. I don't know any of that. But two goals in 11 matches, I know that's great. One of them, as we've said multiple times, is an own goal. Um, what they're doing is, is quite remarkable right now. Um, and it's making, it's making my pick for them to win the league not look quite as bad as it did uh, two months ago. Uh, they're just solid. Like... They're, they're a solid team. They're scoring, like Kyle, like you kind of mentioned earlier, they're, they're scoring yeah. enough to win, and their defense is just on lockdown. Mendy in goal has been a great addition. Um, so It makes you wonder what Frank Lampard was doing with that squad. <laughs> Do you think that there's an Thank MLS you. club that would even hire Frank Lampard right now? <laughs> MLS club for sure. The MLS is. So I know. Cool. I'm just joking. Um, it also makes you ask the question about Christian, though. Right, like Christian's not playing much. He hasn't. Fe- he hasn't featured in Tuchel's plans. Um. I don't know that in some ways it makes me sad because I want to see, I want to see Pulisic in the, in the EPL, but if he's not playing, he's barely in the EPL. He went in in the 90th minute this week. Um, that, that is a sign of someone getting playing time because it's like in their contract, <laughs> like that. I mean, they gave, they gave him the number 10 Jersey to start number 10 yeah jersey or shirt to start the season Mm. kind of a coveted coveted uh number and he's barely even featuring anymore yeah it was uh tugel had a quote today he got asked about it like why isn't christian playing and he said this is his quote he said i cannot say anything other than positive things about him Maybe his problem is that I know him from Dortmund and how strong he is from the bench. Mm. And the, the, the quote, the quote I mean, goes on. There's more to the quote, but 
it's, it's kind of like a little bit of a veiled shot that like I will be bringing him off the bench. That's what he is to me. Dang. The silence says everything. That's that's bad. Yeah. Yeah, he, he goes on. He says, it's a bit unfair, but I know how good he is and what an impact he can have in 20 to 30 minutes. So... It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens in this offseason. You know, there's already transfer rumors about him going back to the Bundesliga. Oh, good job, Chris. That was good. I I almost purposely called it the the Bundalisa because it's <laughs> at this point it's just funny to me. But I wanted to prove that I could at least do it right once. Did you have to read um, it though? That's the question. Did you read it off? No. The- oh, you. I didn't. Know. Yeah, it was it was in my head. Um, I want to ask Kyle, but yeah, it'll be- Kyle, how how much is Christian being on Chelsea tied to the likelihood that you would choose him? So there's no way, like, he wouldn't get transferred before you make your decision. So maybe the other way to ask it is how much does the uncertainty of his future there put put your chances of of choosing Chelsea uh how how much does it lower them so i think this is actually a broader question that i've been trying to wrestle with myself right which is you know hearing so much on this you know this season hearing you guys talk about how the transfer system works and the transfer windows and and guys moving around and just kind of getting a feel for the culture of the epl I do find myself wondering how much emphasis I should put on individual players, mm-hmm. right? And because you just never know how long they're going to be with a club, um, how long they're going to be effective with that club. There's a lot of just variability there. And so I don't actually know. I don't have a good answer for that question yet, but it is something that I've been wrestling through as I've been watching a lot of these clubs and, some of the guys who I enjoy watching and, and thinking, would my opinions change if those guys were to transfer or retire or benched? And so in the case of, you know, Christian and Chelsea, I would say that I'm trying to view Chelsea through the lens of the entire club and how they're playing, what they're capable of going forward, what they, you know, what their culture is surrounding them and really trying to remove Christian from that mix because his future seems, I was going to say so uncertain, but it almost seems certain, you know, it almost Mm -hmm. seems like he won't be around. And, and so I'm trying to kind of have a, a a perspective on it where I, I don't factor in his presence when I look at them. But I would say if, it, if the opposite were happening and he were getting a bunch of playing time and playing well and doing all the things that we thought he was going to do going into the season, they would be, you know, probably running away with the favorites because I would just want to pull for him so much. So I would say it has hurt them, but I don't, but I'm also trying to view them independently of that going forward. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think that was kind of like some of the thoughts that I had in my choice. So now, you know, Nate, all props to you for choosing a smaller market club outside the big six. Um, you know, but when I was making my decision, it kind of came down to a lot of those factors of like soccer seems to be like, I don't know if this is necessarily true anymore. <clears throat> a lot of player movement in the NBA now in the player empowerment area where these guys are leaving teams all the time. But like traditionally, you know, if you had a superstar, that superstar was tied to a franchise for forever, um, at least in American sports and in, in, in football and soccer, it, it seems that that is not the case. Like Messi being at, at Barcelona for so long is, is a rarity. And you look mm. at, you look at like the guys that we've considered like the goats of, of at least our lifetime, you know, guys like uh, Ronaldo and Cristiano Ronaldo and Ronaldinho and, and these guys, and they've gone club to club to club, like every three to five years, they're transferring clubs. And so like, I, that was stuff that I kind of grappled with as I was making my decision, you know, stupidly between Watford, Leicester and, and United was like, Ultimately, like I didn't have the faith that Watford could constantly, you know, consistently put out a squad that would compete. And so it came down to Leicester and United. And I, I, th- I feel like I would be really happy if I had chosen Leicester still. Like For sure. the way that they play, kind of their infrastructure seems really solid, but they're still outside the big six and they're still, for how well they're playing, they're still a smaller market team. And you have to question their long you know, their, their long run ability, their, their longevity that they can sustain this type of a run. And right now it's awesome. And what they're doing, I am so impressed with and love. Uh, but at the end of the day, like I know as a United fan, love it or hate it. Yankees call us what you want, but like, they're going to be competitive year in and year out. And sure. There are going to be years where they finish, you know, fifth, sixth, um, but for the majority of my fandom, I expect them to be in that top four. I expect them to be playing the Champions League because they have the ability to replenish their squad. And and that those were the biggest considerations for me because ultimately I wanted to cheer for a winner. I wanted to root on a team that I could get behind and ex- have big expectations and hopefully have them met. Yep. Yeah, I think just as likely as Wolves finishing seventh last year, they could have been a Sheffield. Like they're not the same squad; they're totally different. But I think I don't. I don't think even when I chose Wolves, I realized like the risk that I was taking. Right, mm. and if they're one major injury from going from you know playing in Europa to playing in nothing and being a a bottom of the table team two major injuries what if Rui went down what if you know we didn't have Pedro Neto like there's there's some you just see some of the volatility and that's what makes Man City so dominant right is they've had a lot of injuries and they've just replenished and restocked um but with that we should talk about a team that has had a lot of injuries and has not been able to recover in the most shocking way possible, and that's Liverpool. Liverpool mm. has now lost six in a row. Um, they are free-falling. They're in eighth place, but they're in eighth place two points behind Tottenham, who has a game in hand, three points behind Everton, who has a game in hand, 
five points behind West Ham, who have a game in hand. And they're three points ahead of Aston Villa, who has two games in hand. It's not too unfathom, unfathomable as much as unfathomable as this is that Liverpool could be in ninth place. Ninth, I mean, that is like, let that sink in. Wow. Liverpool defending champions who dominated the league last year, at least up to the break is games in hand apart from being in ninth place. Sitting right alongside of Arsenal Leeds, Wolverhampton Wanderers as mid table <laughs> clubs. It's great. I mean, we're only a few weeks removed from where you where you presented what we thought was maybe a tough question of what's more likely Liverpool finishing outside the top five or Fulham getting out of relegation. And um, we all conceded. We all conceded that Liverpool was going to end up in the top five. So let's just kick that out right now. So our choices were down to Fulham or whatever other choice was. And now both feel not only likely, but I'm almost slightly confident that Liverpool finishes outside the top five and Fulham escapes relegation. So let's talk about relegation then, because it's, it's become way more fascinating because I think you can argue, you certainly can argue that there's a, it's, it's at least a three team race, potentially a four team race, but I would like to introduce the fact that it may even be a five team race. Fulham, Brighton, Newcastle are the obvious ones. Fulham and Brighton are now tied with 26 points. Brighton has the edge with a game in hand and goal differential. Newcastle has 27 points. They have a game in hand. Burnley is only four points out of relegation zone. And I know this isn't very likely, but Southampton is six points away they have a game in hand so it's it's very very much not likely but the reason i bring it up is because danny ings got injured uh in the match and the in the post-match interview hassan hutel said it does not look good and a club that's already been struggling has been free falling to lose their biggest goal scoring threat in danny ings um I just want to I want to include them in there because they're not they're they're not safe yet. What do you guys think is going to happen? Yeah, I, I know I know you've already made this, but we've had two match weeks uh, since we last recorded, and the race has gotten a lot closer, especially with Brighton falling into this seventeenth place. Yeah, I mean, when I made the prediction, Fulham was going to get out. I predicted it was going to be Newcastle that they caught. Um, and now they've essentially caught Newcastle and Brighton. I mean, they're they're right there with those two. I'm looking at Brighton's schedule, and this might be crazy. I think we're going to know whether they're getting relegated or not um, after their next two games. They play Southampton this week. That's essentially a must-win for them. Yeah. Then they play Newcastle, also essentially a must-win for them. Yeah. The reason why those two games are so important because the rest of their schedule goes like this. 
against Man United, against Everton, Chelsea. They get Sheffield United, which is a good break. Uh, they play Leeds, Wolves, West Ham, City, and Arsenal. That is a brutal, brutal stretch of games to finish a season. That's basically the top half of the league in their last 10 games. So if they can't beat Southampton and Newcastle in their next two games, they're going to be starving for points the rest of the season. Yeah, that's that's crazy. In some ways, I feel like Fulham, because of how well they're playing, it feels like almost a no-brainer that they're going to get out of the relegation zone. But they play Man City next. Yep. Then they have Leeds, who Leeds is vulnerable. They have Villa. Villa is vulnerable. Wolves, very vulnerable. <laughs> um, Arsenal, it's kind of hit or miss. So Fulham doesn't have too too much of a of a tough road right in front of them. Yeah, well, and their final four, it, it opens up a lot because they finished Burnley, Southampton, tough game against United, um, and then and then Newcastle. So their final four is certainly not even close to as bad as Brighton's looks. <laughs> yeah. um, and I, I haven't even touched Newcastle's schedule, but I went through that a couple weeks ago and. I didn't see them getting too many more points as it was. And so uh, it's interesting. And I, I was thinking about like, why do I care about the relegation watch and, and Fulham in particular? And I think I realized like, I just have such a soft spot for like the bigger underdogs and the teams that have just come up. Like I would say I, without knowing any history behind this statement. So Twitter world prove me wrong. It's totally fine. I'll accept that. I feel like anytime three, you know, every year when three teams come up, I feel like you're guaranteed at least one of them is going right back down. Um, and, and so for me, like there's joy in these underdogs coming up and staying up. Like, like last year we fell in love with Norwich early and Tamu Puki was super fun. And then they just fell apart and they went right back down. Um, maybe come nope. right back up again because they're yeah. in the first in the championship. So yeah, get back up here, Pookie. Pookie next. <laughs> um, but you know that I just have this soft spot for those teams. I want to see them come up. I want to see them, like, I think at that level, success is is surviving the league, surviving that year. That's looked at as success for for teams that come up. Obviously, when you're talking bigger picture, like success is getting in the top five, but that's just so unrealistic for a team coming from the championship. Um, so I really, you know, I, I was thinking about today, like, I just want Fulham to survive. I want them to have success. I want them to, to celebrate getting 17th if, if that's where they finish, you know, like Villa got to celebrate that last year. I, that's just fun. It's enjoyable. And not, not that I want to see clubs go down. I don't want to see, you know, I feel bad for those teams that are relegated, but uh, for whatever reason, that that underdog in me, just I love to, to root for that. Well, and I think, yeah, just to kind of prove your point, if, I, if memory serves me correctly, the only team out of the teams that have come up since I started watching or since we started watching is Wolves. I think... Yeah, to come up and stay up? To stay up, that come up and stay up since that first season. Yeah. I think, didn't Sheffield United come up 
they came up last year. Yeah. Are you talking about like our first year? Our first year, I think Wolves. So if there's nine teams who have come up, I think only Wolves have stayed up. Fulham's gone down and come back up. I think the other. Where did Sheffield come from? Because I thought they came up last year, right? Yeah, Sheffield because they won last year. But what I'm saying since we started watching, like Wolves were one of the three teams that came up that season. The other two teams are gone. Right. That makes sense. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it just seems like it's such a hard hill to climb. Uh, you know, to win the championship is hard enough. And then to stay in the Premier League against these clubs, like, it just, it just seems so hard. So hard. Because you have to turn your team over so quickly, right? So you have a championship caliber team, and then you've got to keep the right players and add the right players to give yourself a team that can compete at that level and stay up. So, and then you, and at the same time, you've got to be careful because I don't know all the ramifications and the rules on it, but there's the fair play stuff down in the championship. Right. Yeah, there's the financial fair play, right? But it's even more stringent on the championship teams. Um, you know, because even in that Leeds doc, they talked about they don't know if they could keep certain players because of the payroll and, right. and the yep. financial fair play. And so it's like you, you, I guess like the outsider thought process would be why don't these teams in the championship just sign crazy good players to these crazy deals and bring them in? route that league and then you're going full steam ahead into the EPL and they just can't, they're not allowed to. And so by the time yeah. they do get up, you have to have played your roster correctly within the confines of, you know, the financial fair play rules and then try and compete at the highest level. It just seems like the deck is so stacked against those three teams that come up. Yeah, it's true. It's just, it's fun when they can. And so I think the fact that we have, you know, possibly two teams that came up in Fulham and Leeds that are potentially looking like they're going to stay at least for a season, that that's fun to me. Totally. I agree. Well, let's move on. I wanted to talk about, uh, I guess, our term of the week, rule of the week, interesting thing of the week. <laughs> is I want to talk about the balls they use. I don't know if you've noticed. I didn't notice it till today. So I watched the whole match weekend um, and didn't notice it today, but they're using a new ball. It's actually the exact same ball, just with a new design on it. But what I learned today is that in the winter, they use a yellow ball for matches that could potentially be played in, um, in the snow. And apparently it's like more of a fluorescent color uh, in live and it shows up on the TVs more yellow. But so they start the year with a white ball or whitish ball with some sort of design on it. Then they, um, once the winter hits, I don't know if it's arbitrary or if they have some like deadline November 1st or something, they switch to the yellow ball. And then maybe March 1st, they switch back to the, the springtime ball, which usually has a new design on it as well. So same ball, different colors. Um, I just thought that was interesting. I hadn't noticed it in the past, um, noticed it today. Um, it's a Nike ball, which I also found interesting. And I asked Stu why 
I find it funny that Britain's game would be using a ball made by Americans. And he said, Oh, it's all about the money. It's because Nike paid the most <laughs> to have their ball. So that makes a lot more sense. Uh, the almighty dog, <laughs> the almighty pound coming into play there. Um, but they use a different ball in FA cup. Um, Carabao and the championship. And that's a ball by Miter or Meter. I don't know how it's pronounced. M-I-T-R-E. That's a British company. And that's the ball. I referenced it uh, after the Wolves FA Cup, one of the Wolves FA Cup matches, because apparently this ball has just like wicked movement on it. And so it it moves and plays differently in the air than than the Nike ball does. So um, just a little interesting fact about about the balls that are used in the in the Premier League. Always dropping knowledge on us, Nate. That's what we're here for. That's super interesting, though. And I think, Chris, you know, going back to something we said earlier in the pod about the Man U Crystal Palace match, and it was kind of just a miserable day and super foggy. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was several times even with that ball the new 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 fluorescent ball where i was surprised that they could even see you know really clearly what was going on and obviously it's easier when you're down on the pitch than watching on tv but it was pretty difficult to track some of some of the movements there it was for sure i remember just watching that miserable game depressed by the way they were playing (laughs) But, but thinking like just like Man, they really went crazy with the pyros before this game. <laughs> you know, like, or if it were West Ham, the bubble machine went crazy today. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> if West Ham's losing, they just turn on the bubble machine and just fill the place <laughs> with bubbles. And <laughs> totally. It becomes like a late 90s rave instead of a soccer match. Yeah. No. <laughs> Is one a phone party? Yeah. I want to talk about a couple uh, assists, goals that stood out this week. I have kind of a new little side crush on a player. And his name is Ayanacho from Leicester. This guy, I don't know. I don't know anything about him. I didn't research him. I don't know if he's new to Leicester, if he's been there for a while. Um I just know he had Ndidi in the game against Burnley. Ndidi had this sick pass to him, which is my assist of the week. And then uh, Ian Nacho with just a remarkable shot on goal. Chris, it was like the first game, I think, wasn't of the first match week. So it feels like forever ago now, but. It does. I I had to pull up my Twitter feed because I remember retweeting the goal video and just being like what a goal i mean it was incredible yeah incredible goal but then again uh against brighton this week he had another just phenomenal goal and so i just i i like the way this guy this guy plays a little side crush a little side crush on him um do you guys see harry kane's cr- no one can see this, but Chris is trying to show us the video right now on his <laughs> phone. There it is. Beautiful. 
that goal's insane. I'm sorry. It doesn't matter how many times I see it. That goal is insane. That's insane. Well, the pass is sick too. The pass from Ndidi is so good. I know we're not here to. In- well, I think we are here to influence you, Kyle. But yeah, that Leicester team is is so enjoyable. It is. Hey, Matt, it is Leicester in the top eight. I forget. They they were the oh they're in the top eight for sure. They were the My, fan vote, in, right? They were the fan vote. They're the popular vote. The thing that Lester needs to overcome, because I agree, there's a lot of positives about Lester. The thing that they need to overcome for me, though, is actually the fact that they were, they're like the darlings pick for every new American who, or every American who's new to the Premier League. And so I'm trying not to be too cliche by being drawn to them but i agree there's a lot of positives going on do you, do you think they're the pick because it's like uh new fans could tell non-fans like oh yeah i follow lester and they could be like what the hell is lester i don't what even is that oh, and they're mean, like oh you mean leicester <laughs> yeah well <laughs> well let me tell you who they are okay as opposed yeah. to being like well who do you follow i fa- follow manchester united oh, pff, ah, ugh, oh. right and it, but yet there's also that sense of like accomplishment because they they did win the Premier League a few years ago, and so yeah. you you kind of get the best of everything with them. You get that hipster outsider, I'm smarter than you, uh, pick, and then you also get the the winning that goes along with it. So I would love uh, to listen. see a percentage. I would love to see a map of the U.S. with like fandom of non big six clubs. And like percentages and seeing if Austin and Portland have a surprising yes. amount of Lester fans Lester. compared to the rest of the US. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. It's it's Portland, Austin, Asheville, and Brooklyn are all Lester fans. They're all Lester fans. <laughs> I love it. Um I also have a little bit of hair watch. Did you guys see, and I don't, again, I don't even know how to pronounce his name, but from West Brom, um, <laughs> Dinier, I think it is, Dinier with his blue hair. Ooh, I no, mean, but now I'm intrigued. I'm sure you didn't because no one's watching West Brom matches at, the, at this juncture of the season, but especially West, West Brom Newcastle matches, but uh Digne has great blue hair. It definitely, yes. it definitely stands. <laughs> it's uh, I highly, highly, highly recommend Google image searching him, um, because his styles don't just stop at the blue hair style. He has a full range of dues he's used over the years. Um, it's highly enjoyable to look at. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot going on there, Nate. There's a lot going on here. This, <laughs> this, oh yeah, this might be my new favorite hairstyle in Dude. history. I don't know if he was on. It doesn't look like he was on. Who is he on? Galaster. Oh yeah, Galatzere from Turkey when he has this dreaded 
mohawk dyed down the sides platinum yeah down the sides. it's a good look that's that a good is, look that's a great look that's if he could bring that back that'd be like all-time favorite premier league hair but this blue that's very striking <laughs> i almost i almost thought like the first picture of it i saw i almost thought someone like not Photoshop, but like Microsoft painted, like <laughs> it, like it had that look even live, even live. Okay, it had that same kind of look. It's just so bright; it looks unreal. It looks, <laughs> it looks like you created a video game character with blue hair. <laughs> totally, because it's how bright it is. It's it's impressive. It's impressive. Well, let's move over. And these to are the reasons we have so many listeners. There it is. Let's move over to lock it in review. Uh, big flex by me over the weekend to reassert my authority on the lock it in. I picked City over Wolves and Spurs over Crystal Palace to run my record to 17 and 11 to retake the lead over Chris, who picked Lester over Burnley, which was a loss, but he did pick up a, a win with West Ham over Leeds United today. Kyle. The only thing that gets me about the Leicester, Leicester over Burnley, they, they drew. Look, if Leicester, if you're going to cause me to lose one of my locket in picks, at least lose the freaking game. Don't take one point and cost me my victory. I know. Those are the worst. Well, Wolves did that for Kyle in a major way. They took a full hard loss. To <laughs> they took that advice. They said, if we're going to lose this one, we're going to lose right. big. So that it's yes. so funny. I didn't mention this in the Wolves match. Same thing happened in the first match against City for Wolves. They played them tight. It's like Wolves can play City this season. Wolves can play City tough for about 75 minutes. Because I think Wolves City were were tied 1-1 late into that game and then Wolves 80, 80th minute it was 1-1 in the 80th minute in this match right yeah yeah and in the previous match I think it was the same and then they gave up two goals right at the end of the match to lose 3-1 so Wolves Wolves can play City well for about 75 minutes so hmm. and then you got a win with Leicester over Brighton Kyle pulling keeping your record at 500 Kyle, who are you going with this week? Who are you trusting to get you over the hump? Yeah, I need I need to get back in the momentum column here. So I'm trying to pick something a little safer this week. I'm going city over Southampton. Solid choice. Chris? It's such a solid choice that I put it in first, city over <laughs> Southampton. Nice. I, however, am taking Chelsea over Leeds. I just, I believe Chelsea right now is the hottest team in the league. Um, even though with, with City losing, they have the longest run of, of unbeatens. Um, and so I'm taking Chelsea over Leeds. Perfect. And speaking of that, that's actually the match I'll be tuning into this week. Um, we've talked a lot about them on the pod, both these clubs. And so want to see, 
you know, really what Chelsea and their kind of momentum that they got building is all about. And then wanting to see if Leeds can find a way to turn it around and finish stronger than they have been looking the last several weeks. So I'll be tuning into that one this week. I do want to uh, rebut just a little bit, Nate, on you calling Chelsea the hottest team in the league. Uh, Manchester United is also unbeaten in their last 11, and they were the ones to beat City. I find it hard to believe that there's a hotter team than them. Man U is unbeaten in 11? 11 competitions, yes. I did that not includes know. the Cup. That includes cup games. They haven't lost. Yeah, they haven't lost since January when they dropped 2-1 to Sheffield. I did not realize that. I stand corrected. Who does mean? Maybe I should take them this week instead. Yeah, uh, it wouldn't be a bad grab. Um, They play West Ham. No, I'm sticking with Chelsea. (laughs) That's probably the match of the week, though. It is. That is Matt, Matt. I have that and the North London Derby for history's sake. Arsenal versus Spurs will also be just a classic match. I think we we talked about it last year, the year before. It's like every time they play, it doesn't matter, you know, what position these guys are in. It's a fun match to watch, and I think that that that's the beauty of the derbies. Is typically they're super fun matches to watch, regardless of where the teams are. Totally. And I think with the way Arsenal has been playing Spurs seem to have gotten some of their mojo back with um, crap with Bale with, with uh, Bale now playing a bit more. Um, I don't know if you guys saw, but Kane and son set the record for most um, goal connections in a season over the weekend. So yeah, that team I, I I joked about or not joked about. I talked about Jose maybe getting the boot if he didn't turn it around. It was as soon as he inserted Bale into that lineup, they look like a different team with him playing up front with those two. Totally, yeah. I mean that's firepower right there, Bale. If he can stay uninjured, um, yeah, they may be able to make a little run towards the end of the season, at least towards Europe, but potentially Champions League if they can go on a strong run and one of those other top four can falter. All right, gentlemen. Well, uh, it's been fun and you guys are awesome. (laughs) So proud of you both. (laughs) Good work, boys. Catch you next week. Peace. Hey, guys, I'm just a little disappointed that we went this whole pod and about the English Premier League and didn't talk at all about Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Oh, I want it on that one. <laughs> that was so good. We got Emily coming in the spot. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> Emily. Okay, we got to redo the whole pod, guys. Sorry. We got to redo the whole hour in. We got to start over. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> I wish everyone could see the video. <laughs> uh, oh, it's